This Week in Photography is brought to you by Drobo. Use TWIP as the coupon code and get $50 off your new Drobo at drobostore.com. This week on TWIP, will video kill still photography? Alex gives a PMA roundup and Pictage CEO Jason Kiefer tells photographers to keep their day jobs. All that and more coming up on episode number 72 of This Week in Photography. And we're back for another episode of This Week in Photography. Uh, today on the show, we've got... Who do we have in the panel today? We've got uh, Ron coming from up north somewhere. Hey, Ron. I'm back. He's yes. back. Back from back from where? Where did you go? You were just gone. Uh, I, was, I, I went. I just went to meetings. I, didn't, <laughs> oh, <laughs> I don't real. have any good story. Like I went somewhere so much as I went into a bunch of meetings that happened to be at the same time as uh, we were recording the show. Tell those tell those corporate people to get their priorities straight. Come on. Yeah, I'm working on that. <laughs> and coming. Yes, I'm here. I'm in Seattle. The weather's good. Let's do a show. Awesome. Uh, and coming from the far right coast is uh, Mr. Steve. Simon. Hey, Steve. Has it been a week already? Man. It, it has been a full week. Isn't it flying by? The older I get, the, the, the quicker these weeks go by. So you have foot on the accelerator pedal, no question. <laughs> exactly. And then from the far left coast, uh, a little bit north of me in San Francisco, is Mr. Alex Lindsay. Hey, Alex. Hello. 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 Now, Alex, you, uh, you had a little excitement earlier this week. You've been globetrotting a little bit. What's, uh, what's up with Vegas? I only stayed for the day. So my my uh, my brother Joe and I uh, flew out for uh, the day and met up with Scott, and um, we uh, we toured around uh, PMA. Mm. So we were just there for a day. I probably could have stayed for two, um, but that a day was about all we needed. I mean, it was it's a much smaller show than NEB, which is three whole you know uh, areas. Um, and I haven't been to PMA before, so it was it was a lot of fun. Cool. So that's uh, what out of all the things that you saw there, what was the one thing that just sort of stuck out of, in your head as I got to buy this as soon as it's available? Oh, there was so many. Really? I don't know if I can get it down to one. Well, here's here's there's a couple things. I mean, it was very expensive for me to go because now I have all these things that I need to buy. But uh, oh. I mean, GH1, which which was very exciting to look. Wait, VH1 isn't it? GH. Did that go off the air? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, so, there's a jocularity coming back already. Sorry. Yeah, there you go. So, so the GH1, the Panasonic GH1 is uh, is pretty cool. You know, they it really looks like they. You know, it's a, it's a four thirds camera, so it's like this little. Uh, you know, from a Japanese perspective, you just want to say kawaii. You know, it's this cute yeah. little uh, you know cute little uh, camera, uh-huh. and um, uh, it's this little camera that is it's an APS size sensor, I believe, and. Um, and the the cool thing about it is is that it's able to shoot the 1080p video. Um, it kind of it kind of feels like they looked at what Canon and Nikon did and then just did it better. <laughs> like took, like but now, now, this is when it comes this to is video the camera that they sorry this they actually had announced this a almost exactly the same camera several months ago and then this is just sort of the same thing but now it does video right. Exactly. So this came out, and this was this was in. I saw a lot of these in like big camera in Japan, um, but not with the video. But what they've added is the video capabilities, and it the video works. Number one is it has an analog in, so you got a little eighth inch jack in. It is, uh, it doesn't have a mirror, and this is the same with the G1. There's no mirror uh, that's included, and so you're really able to get live video. And 
I until I test it, I don't know, but I think I'm going to be able to get. I believe that I'll be able to get um, high resolution, the 1080p video out the HDMI, mm. and if it's like all these little video cameras, it will be you know uncompressed 422 coming out of this little camera with a nice short depth of field, and you know from a video perspective, that's kind of interesting. And and the reason people talk about the fact that I always talk about video on a photography show but i think one of the things we have to realize is that uh, I, if you look at the trajectory of everything that was happening at pma uh, in the next uh, we're only looking at another two or three years before just about every camera does both video and stills i mean it's, it, it, they're not gonna, there's gonna be a handful of little uh very niche cameras that will only do still photography in our in our industry and so how they figure out how to do this the video cameras are all adding still capabilities the still cameras are all adding video capability and that's something you saw in pma everywhere is just that all and and the other thing that the the other trends that are happening is you know you're slowly starting to see gps kind of um slide into the into a lot of the cameras video cameras sony has a video camera with the gps uh you're also seeing high speed showing up everywhere you know so these you know it, right now it's crude and ugly <laughs> um, that where you have uh, um, uh, really really small, you know, postage stamp twelve hundred frames per second kind of uh, solutions, right. or three hundred or 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 three twenty by two forty um, three hundred frame per second you know solutions. And so there's a lot of different solutions at at the two hundred and forty or two hundred and ten frame per second up to twelve hundred frame per second that's starting to show up. And it's not just in Casio anymore. You know, Samsung has one. Uh, Sony is putting these little bursts into their video camera. So there's a lot of people that are looking at these high, you know, high speed is, is going to become another one of those cool little features that they keep on improving. Um, also, so Alex, can I just ask you as a video guy, do you think this Panasonic is something you would do for sort of commercial work? Yeah, I mean, I think that, and this is what I wanted to do with the Canon and, and what got me really interested in the Canon. The Canon, I just feel like is a little... Uh, it's limited in its implementation because of the you don't have control over the aperture. I mean, people will tell us that we do, but it, anything that requires me to put my hand over the over the lens and then turn it on and do a bunch of other stuff that doesn't count. You know, it should just be a dial. If I can't dial in the aperture, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't count that as really manual control. Yeah. So the uh, so the Canon, you know, without that control, without being able to really adjust the focus. Uh, effectively while it's shooting without that stuff i just felt like it wasn't quite there um as far as that goes i think that the you know nikon of course is adding that the d90 has it it doesn't it's not available in the in the um you know in the higher end ones yet uh so um i really looked at that as a great opportunity um this one does look like it's going to have some of those pieces um one of the big things is that being able to put really solid glass in front of a relatively inexpensive camera is something that is, you know, it's kind of the holy grail for a lot of us, is, is that we can get nice short depth of field. We can get that, that kind of photographic uh, piece. So we'll, we'll try to put something in the show notes about um, Nine Inch Nails just put up a great video that was shot on a, on a Canon 5D or uh, 2. And uh, they, it was someone, you know, wandering around the, the stage, shooting them, doing their thing. And it just looks so luscious. You know, it's all this short depth of field and it just has this very filmic look. And those are things, that, those are hard things to do in inexpensive cameras. You can do it for a cam- with a camera if you're willing to spend more than twenty five dollars or $30,000. But being able to buy a $1,500 or $2,000 camera that you can fire some stills off with, but you can also get the nice short depth of field, better glass, change the glass, all that stuff is stuff that um, being able to put that in a little uh, package, um, and especially if you're traveling, uh, being able to, for instance, shoot promo images that you might do at a client's location. We do a lot of corporate work. Um, So being able to shoot 
like the promo images that they're, they're going to put on the web page with a still camera and then take the same still camera and drop it on a tripod and do an interview with nice short depth of field and good lighting and good look to it and with a good look to it. Yeah. Being able to do both of those uh, really portably is kind of exciting. But Alex, on, the, on, the, on that note, playing devil's advocate a little bit, you know, it reminds me, whenever I hear about the convergence of still and video, I think about uh, Jurassic Park. You know, remember, remember in the original Jurassic Park when Jeff Goldblum said the line, you know, you were so busy trying to figure out uh, if you could do it, <laughs> you didn't uh, realize that you should. Yeah, yeah, you know, could you do the thing? You didn't. You didn't stop to think. Should you do it? You know. Now thinking, you know, the technology, all that notwithstanding, I know it's you know leaps and bounds, and we're you know there's HD coming in these handheld cameras, and then with the red camera, we're getting you know uh, raw photos and and still capabilities there, and they're converging. And I don't think there's any way we're going to stop that, nor which should we stop that. But if you look to the softer side of it and the skill set side of it, you know, when you look at photography that are still struggling and trying to master the craft of still photography and you know it's trying to each uh, or trying to eke out a a look and a niche there adding on to that you know, 30 whatever frames per second in video and all the things that video brings to it do you think that's it, where do you think we're gonna go we're gonna end up with a lot of mess I, out there it, high it, re- hd that- mess you know no, but you can make that same argument for any feature you add to a camera, right? It's like, it's like saying, well, people are still struggling to to master uh, exposure, struggling to master, uh, you know, auto focusing. So we shouldn't have added autofocus to it. No, I'm being, yeah. no, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying photography as an art form, still photography as an art form. And I'm saying that we, that the, the the two pieces, motion and still, shouldn't converge. I'm just saying that the the skill set necessary saying, but, to become a videographer is different than yeah. to become a really accomplished still photographer. And if people sure, haven't made it not. yet to be a still photographer, now we're giving them all this power to shoot HD and become Alex Lindsay's in their head. You know, are what's going to happen? Go ahead. Yeah, but I, I don't. You know, I don't think the I don't think it's the artist that. Uh, I mean, it's the artist that should define the art, right? Mm-hmm. The technology should be as good as it can be. Yeah, and, well, and I think the other you know, thing is, yeah, and I just want to jump in there. Oh, sorry, guys. Uh, No, I was just going to say, I I think if you've got something to say and you've got a tool that you can use to say it, you'll find a way to say it and and you'll use whatever whatever means. You'll learn the technique to be able to communicate what it is that you want to say. So I think it's a question of the desire on the person using the tool to either take advantage of this new feature and they'll find a way to do it. Uh, or not, you know, just to ignore it and stick with stills or, or really get into the video or, or merge the both. And, and I think that the other thing is, is that uh, w- what we're looking at, if you're an established, uh, you know, photographer who, you know, who has your, who has a certain skill set, number one is most of the skills that you have as a photographer are going to translate very well to video because framing, um, you know, giving people, you know, the same type of framing that you're doing with a still camera is often the same kind of framing that you want to do with video. In fact, you don't, you know, a lot of people have this whole shaky MTV cam, but most of the video that you see that's done well is not that much different other than you just simply moving your camera with the action that's happening, but still using the same framing, same lighting, same, a lot of the same things that you would do in a still environment you're doing in video. And the, you know, great photographers are often and great videographers because they they think in that way naturally and that's a hard thing for you know people to get over I think that there is, you know, there's a certain establishment if you're if you're at the upper level of photography. I don't think this, you know, you could you could stick with, you know, uh, film if you wanted to, yeah, uh, and, and for quite some time because you're really really great at what you do. The cream always rises to the top. I do think that photographers that are in the middle, you, you know, they're not 
necessarily the best photographers. Uh, they're not necessarily the worst photographers, but they're they're kind of in that middle. They have a business going. They're gonna they have to start really paying attention to this, and that's yeah. why I think it's important that we talk about video on this show. Is because um, I do think for the you know the ninety eight percent you know in the middle <laughs> or the you know whatever they need you need to know about video if you're a photographer if you're going to make this a business um, because it, it it is merging whether we think it should merge or whether or not every camera five years from now is going to have video install and it's going to be good video. And, and the, the next generation of photojournalist is not, you know, that's, that's being sent to Africa. When you look at the cost of uh, the, the, when you look at what's happening in the media industry and you know, what, what happening to the budgets for magazines, for, uh, for all these things and, and how fast a lot of this is converging to the web where we're losing magazines, they're ending up on the web. Well, when they're on the web, just a still isn't isn't necess- isn't just necessary. I mean, you still want stills, but I think that the next generation of photojournalist is going to need to know how to shoot video. If we're sending you to Africa, we expect you to know, understand sound, video, stills, you know, lighting. You know, all that stuff is stuff that we're going to expect you to know when you hit the ground. And the next generation of people buying these cameras are going to know that. It you know, sounds gonna- like it's it. It sounds like it's going to have to be a compromise in the sense that you know a still photographer knows you really have to concentrate your efforts on shooting stills, and then if you need to do video as well. But I think you're right, Alex. I think we're going to see this kind of new uh, emergence uh, that uses sort of combinations of both, and you know when done effectively, uh, the the new skill set of of photojournalists in the future are going to be able to um, know when to switch to video and and give it their full concentration and then know when maybe stills are, are going to be used. So, yeah, it's going to be fun to, to see how this whole thing uh, evolves. Yeah. I, I bet I bet Annie Leibovitz is shooting video now. You think so? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, She's having someone shoot video for her? <laughs> or, or that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Alex, did you notice I, I read about it? Of course, I wasn't at PMA, but apparently there was still film at PMA. Apparently... Uh, Fuji had some film sort of in the back, and Kodak actually introduced a new film. <laughs> really? Yeah, they, I, 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 I picture this little, I, like, dark room with, yeah. like, you know, <laughs> the curtains that say adults only that you have to pass through. Oh, I, I thought, I, I, I saw it. I did see it at Fuji. At the, I didn't even have to admit, I feel bad. I, I didn't really spend any time walking through the Kodak booth. <laughs> I just... Oh. I just kind of walked past it yeah. and was like, "Wow, I'm still there." They still have a big booth. That's so good for them. <laughs> but they and, introduced uh, a new film stock, really? Yeah, uh, apparently, Ektar yeah. 100 uh, right. has been uh, wow. has been introduced. It's the first. Well, it's the only new film at PMA, but you know, <laughs> the old timers will remember. It used <laughs> well, they, to, they, uh, the Fuji Fuji actually is they are attacking this market in a whole bunch of different directions. Uh, you know, they uh, they had a little film in the back, which was kind of cute. Um, but they also had they're they're working on a they they showed their uh, prototype and this was at CES as well uh, that has two it's really a stereo camera so it almost feels like the that, you know going back when they used to start when they used to play with this but it's got two little lenses and um, when you fire it it'll actually combine that image into a three D you know a three D interleaved image oh that's cool um, now you need their display to watch it but one thing I pressed them on and they did tell me this is possible of course I'm still looking at a prototype uh, was that they it will the the individual lenses will fire two individual JPEGs if you want so you can sit there and fire it you can set it up like I don't want you to interleave it into a three D image I just want to get the individual stills uh, and and be able to fire those stills you know and get the stereo st- uh, pairs. Um, back as I'm as I'm firing the camera and the camera the 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 
the R&D version that was in the front is kind of boxy, but the, the, the one that's actually coming out looks really nice. And um, so it'll fire these two stereo pairs. Um, you can also have individual control over the it's crazy. You can have individual control over the, um, the, the lenses. So you could have one lens. You don't just do stereo. You could, you could actually have one lens zoomed in and one wide mm. at the same time. So when you're firing that photo, you know, it's firing both the close-up and the wide all at the same time. Um, and, uh, and so the other uh, piece of that is it does do 640 by 480 video in 3D as well. So they really, you know, are playing with this great, I mean, that, I thought that was really stretching the bounds of uh, what was possible. And not just from, a, from shooting stereo, but from a, um, from a more geeky perspective, is that, you know, being able to shoot a scene with parallax, um, you know, offers a lot of opportunities to build 3D models and stuff like that from it. So, so there's a, there was a lot of things that were kind of interesting in, in, in that realm. The other thing that Fuji was doing is, you know, they've been playing with this idea of having uh, two, you know, two sensors on the same site. And, uh, and so they're, um, they're doing this kind of dynamic range, you know, extended dynamic range where it's really shooting two different exposures on the same chip, you know, where the chip has its own little site to it. Now, the only, so you're basically building like a little mini HDR, you know. Um, the, the weird thing about that solution uh, was that they... Um, uh, they call it EXR, and I, I tried to explain to them. You know, EXR means something. <laughs> you, know, you can't. You know, you know, it's not. They're not saving to EXR, and and there's a lot of people that will know that that you're you're using a you know something that means something completely different in the same field. In fact, I, there may be some trademark issues there. The second thing um, is that it saves it down to a JPEG. So it does this. It does this wider range, and then it saves a JPEG. It, there's no way to save it as a you know, as an extended RAW or an HDR or anything else, it just or saves an it. EXR. Or an EXR. Or an EXR, which is what they're calling it. You know, all they have to do is just save it as an EXR. Um, exactly. But there's no... Now, hopefully, they're going to look at stuff like J, maybe maybe HD, you know, some of the um, HD photo stuff that Microsoft's working on. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's the next generation of being able to take advantage of that extended dynamic range. Um, but I thought it was interesting what Fuji was doing, you know, with, with those technologies. And, and you're starting to see more of that you know, uh, that's like the next one of the other things that are starting to show up in a lot of cameras. Yeah, you're, you're seeing tons of tons and tons. I think you're see so much more of this this sense that the camera does a whole lot of uh, processing on images in camera and allows you to do things like build these uh, HDR images in camera by doing special tricks. Things that, you know, hackers have basically been doing out of the camera by doing multiple exposures and things like that. Uh, yeah, you're, you're going to see it moving into the camera. Yeah. And I think the stereo is a really interesting one because it, you know, we're seeing this change in the film industry where everybody's kind of betting that stereo movies are, are going to be bigger and bigger and people are going to, it's going to get people back in the cinema. But at some point, you know, the, the television manufacturers are going to be like, well, we want to be able to display these. And at some point then you're going to have really good ways of looking at stereo in, in your home. And I, and I think then people are going to want to know, well, can I take still photos that are stereo? Right. Yeah. Right. So, Alex, yeah, Alex, you want to, you want to, uh, and sorry to cut you off, do you want to uh, chat about the uh, Aperture Nature Photography Contest and the linking contest and all that stuff real quick? Yeah, sure. It's coming up uh, soon. Uh, the, uh, the, I mean, well, actually, it's coming up now. In Twip Photo, of course, linking, you can win uh, three of Scott's 88 Secrets books and get a premium subscription to lynda.com. It's always going on, so link to twipphoto.com. Can I, can I ask a question? Sure. Why, why does Scott write three 88 Secrets books and not just one 264 <laughs> Secrets book? <laughs> marketing. It's all about marketing. <laughs> okay, I just had to check. 
It's so like you don't want to put all your digital images on one, you know, flashcard. Uh, there you exactly. go. Exactly. And you may not be interested in, in the different secrets that he has. You may be only interested in certain <laughs> secrets. And why have extra paper and extra trees and everything else when you only need those <laughs> so Selective the, uh, secrets. Yeah. I love it. Secret exactly. 22. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> so yeah. then also, aperture, the Aperture Nature uh, Photography Contest uh, is offering $3,500 worth of prizes to each photographer who wins. So uh, check that all out at twipphoto.com. And uh, one last thing from PMA that I just wanted to mention uh, is uh, that was a little slick was the new Sony, uh, one of the Luxor cameras uh, that does. Have you seen this pano? It does a pano in camera. Yeah, this is exactly the same kind of thing I was just talking about, where something where you can, and I should describe what it is, but basically, you know, as you pan the camera, it is iteratively building a, a larger, stitching together a larger image inside of the camera, so that when you're done, you've just taken the You little, literally you know, just, you, you hit the button and then just pan over, and it literally just does it. And, and it, I mean, literally, a moment later, it's done. I mean, isn't it getting to the point, I know how you guys feel, where it's hard to take credit for the images anymore because the cameras are doing all this stuff for you. It's, uh, it's pretty amazing stuff. I, I think from, the, from, a, from a consumer point of view, I think it's, it's one of those things that is uh, it's great that you can take. I think the level of medium photography is fantastic because of all these techno technological breakthroughs. But I think that when you look at you know, great photography is a great eye. And and it always is going to be a great eye, and it's never going to be what everyone can do. You See, know, the strikes, don't I was going to say it strikes me as uh, you know if I'm shooting and I'm I'm working a subject and so on and so forth, and I I think I know what the picture is going to be, and then I see something and I quickly react and shoot without even thinking, and sometimes that picture turns out to be really the best picture, and. Right. Even even in retrospect, I still have a hard time recognizing that because, in a sense, it was it just happened so fast. I don't I, di I didn't even feel I was there. <laughs> so. right, but at the same time, all of the all of your history and experience, when a photojournalist is in the in the middle of a hot zone, you know, taking photos of stuff, it's their natural reaction in that zone is from years of experience, a good eye, all sure, those things. So sure. what's happening really fast is not the same as someone who doesn't have that experience, doesn't have that eye, uh, doesn't have that natural framing. And so when you take Take that that quick photo that is just a uh, opportunistic, even though you weren't planning it. Uh, it's going to be different than uh, than someone who's just getting started. Yeah, no, like that me, may be, be running away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, running away, and then the camera goes off, and you got it. And there's, there's, there's a certain level of just taking lots of photos, and that's the great thing about digital. Yeah, yeah you can just go rapid fire machine gun, and somewhere I in take, there will be a decent photo. Right? When I'm driving around Africa, my one of my favorite things to do is take pictures of people by the road, you know, that are going by. Oh, and it's such a hit or miss thing because you have to use manual focus and you have to get good at the timing and everything else. And you take 600 photos and you get like four that are just really cool. Yeah. But it's, you're just doing it all day while you're, while you're in, the, in the car. Something that would not have been possible with film. Exactly. At all. So also, uh, uh, I know Scott Bourne over on twipphoto.com is doing, uh, didn't he do a, a best gadget of PMA or something, Alex? Uh, he did. The best gadget, Spider Cube. Yeah, what is that? I didn't even I didn't look at that. <laughs> so Spider Cube is it's actually really cool. Geek One Kevin. of the things, what it's Geek Kevin, yeah, it's exactly. Geek Kevin. I mean, well, this is this. It's so much uh, coming back from things that we would do on film sets, right, Alex? Right, right. Go ahead, Ron. Did you want to talk about it? Uh, well, I'll talk about it a little bit. Um, it, it's it's just a little object that you can use for 
calibrating what your photo is. So it's got you know grayscale areas on it for balancing on a gray card, but it also has a little mirror ball on the top so you can figure out where specular highlights are coming from. And it's got a little light trap on the bottom so you can figure out sort of what's the, the real floor, what's the blackest black that you can get in a scene. Yeah, uh, it's and and normally have like it. each one of these little measurement tools costs like a hundred dollars, <laughs> and together they're yeah. selling it for what two grand? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And what does it go for? Do you know what the the MSRP is? This is like sixty bucks. Oh, sweet! So basically, it's like a it's a gray card, a three dimensional, uh, like a three dimensional gray card that you put in the scene, take pictures, and then you can measure it later in Photoshop, that kind of thing. Yeah, like, especially when you have sync plates, but also just if you want to correct them to the, so that you really get what you what you thought you were going to do. Well, and, and it's, it's interesting to understand why you would want, you know, the, the gray card is sort of, it's on a cube effectively instead of just being a flat card. And, and the reason why you want that is that it gives you more information about what's the light really doing in the scene. So, you know, if for instance, you, you're trying to white balance, but you have a really strong blue light coming in one side and a, you know, a, a yellow light coming in from the other side or something like that, it'll at least give you the information that you can sort of use to say, you know, what are you really going to, going to want to balance for? Yeah. Right. Hey, just just a quick segue, and, and uh, the uh, while we were talk while we were talking about the whole convergence of video, and uh, and still, I did a little Twitter, and so far, I just want to read a couple of the responses that have come in. Uh, one person, uh, Jay Villaroman, says the better question is when will they merge? I'd venture a guess of two to three years. Dan Nug says photo and still convergence is inevitable, especially when we get smart paper, for example, newspapers with e ink. And Hey Cameraman says it might be out of sheer survival that the two industries must merge. So this little quick tidbit, real time on the podcast recorded from entries coming in on Twitter. Nice. I love that sort of, you know, this whole social networking thing <laughs> folding in over itself. It's amazing. Exactly. Well, and, and hopefully we're going to get you up to, uh, we're going to start doing live broadcasts from the from the Twit House. That's the plan. Uh, so yeah, I'll be... I get to sit in Leo's, or sit, I was going to say sit on Leo's chair, but actually it's not a chair, is it? It's a little uh, it's a ball. It's an exercise it's a, ball. <laughs> Fred is, uh, Fred is go- we're going to get Fred to own the ball. <laughs> Hopefully next week. Really? That soon? Yes. Crap. We're going right. to train Fred on how to, use the, how to use the video mixer. So I guess Sweet. I better have the conversation with, uh, with my corporate bosses before, that, yes. <laughs> before the show airs. Thanks, oh, Alex. Oh, an opportunity <laughs> to have a good face on the... Uh, yeah, exactly. You, have a, you, have, you now have um, about 48 hours. <laughs> Great. Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, also in the news, uh, there was a, a firmware update for the Canon EOS 1D. Who, uh, who here has one? I know Ron... Ron, do you have one of those cameras, the, the 1D? Yeah, I wish. <laughs> no. <laughs> you don't have one. So no one has one. Alex, I know you probably don't, right? No. Huh. Well, anyway, yeah. it, it, uh, this, this was, yeah, the, the, the issue, there was, you know, a lot of angst on the Canon boards over uh, some, some autofocus problems with this camera. And uh, Scott should be here because he's the one that was uh, so vocal about how he just really felt that Canon's response to the problem was was inadequate, and they just sort of didn't deal with it for a very long time. That's part of what that, pushed them over to the Nikon boat, right? Exactly. They've been fixing this problem, sadly, for for more than a year. I mean, it's it's been going on and on and on. So but these are people who but paid I mean, a lot of money for a camera. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I it really did hurt hurt Canon in the professional markets, and I know a lot of people, uh, you know, moved over. But uh, it's good news if you've got the camera, and it it, it this thing is going to help. Great. Yeah, well, we'll see. Always update. 
Uh, and uh, there's also a sponsor this week, I believe, sp- Alex, which I think I'm going to toss it to you to talk about because I happen to be affiliated <laughs> with that company now. So, of course, we have, uh, you know, we are sponsored by Drobo, Drobo.com or DroboStore.com or Drobo. Uh, and, of course, everyone's heard about Drobo because we everyone here uses a Drobo. And, uh, and we, we love our Drobos. And, uh, uh, the, you know, the big thing that Drobo, of course, provides for is, uh, you know, a redundant backup system. It's easy. You don't have to know anything about it. You don't have to be an engineer. You don't have to be, uh, you know, you don't have to be a geek uh, to be able to just plug it in, set it up, get it going. Uh, and um, and have good safe backup uh, for all, especially all your photos, which is the kind of thing that you you want to back up. So uh, you know you can have you, you put four drives in there. It's up to really up today. I guess it's up to eight terabytes. I mean it'll go up to sixteen. Mm-hmm. Uh, when when the drives are available, it'll hit sixteen. Right. right now, with the two gig drives out there, are the two gig drives, Fred? Uh, or have they been? Um, Oh, they're out. They're shipping. Yeah, the right. the Western guys, Digital uh, two gigabytes. Yeah, and they well they're 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 up and down on on the uh, the Drobo store because they're in such short supply. But you know, if you happen to catch it when they're there, I I suggest you grab them. You have up so. to eight gigs in there, which will give you six gigs of storage uh, that is backed up. Any one drive goes bad, especially for people who have been getting these Seagate drives. Uh, that you know, we have twelve of them. <laughs> that, uh oh. <laughs> scared of right now we're, and, and, and literally what we're doing is we're backing up all the information on the seagate drives and we're going to throw them into drobos knowing and having an extra drive sitting right on top of it um knowing if one goes bad we just pull it out put the other one in yep. you know and and uh and, and that allows us to you know keep on using them because uh, yeah. they may not go bad but you want to make sure that you uh you have a, a way to handle it otherwise having them as the single point of failure is scary so hey Fred, uh, I, I have a question, a Drobo question, because you know that's one thing I think a lot of people don't think about because it's true when you've got a Drobo, uh, it's redundant, and you know having that extra drive on top of it. Um, if things did go wrong, mm-hmm. is there a time thing going on there where you the sooner the better you you get that fresh drive in and you take out the bad one. The better it is. Well, the way it works is on the front of the the box. There's indicator lights next to each drive, and mm. when when the light changes color, and normally it's green, that means all is good. Your data is protected. When it starts uh, flashing, uh, yellow and red or yellow. When it starts flashing, basically, I forget what the flashes are, but uh, that means don't touch it. Don't take any drives out because it's working on stuff. Uh, and when the light turns red. That's when Drobo is telling you, uh, I need you to replace the drive in this particular bay with one of larger capacity. So, you know, you know, the only time that your data is not safe is when that light is red and it's telling you, hey, replace this because I can't get anything more on here and I need more space to do my thing. Or, or when it's flashing and that means I'm writing something, I'm, I'm doing my, my Drobo math on these drives, don't take anything out because you're going to screw up your data. So, and all that information, if you take the front face, the face plate off your Drobo, and look behind that uh, on the plate itself. There's little uh, ex- explanations of what each one of the the light flashing and indicators mean. So it's all good. Yeah. So so the now if you want to get a Drobo, of course you can get fifty dollars off. Trip trip listeners can get fifty dollars off uh, the new uh, FireWire eight hundred. Of course it has USB as well, um, and uh, that is uh, you just use the the Twip. As the co- as the coupon code at drobostore.com. and I believe you can also get fifteen percent off the big bundle. So um, that ends up to be about one hundred fifty dollars off, and it's a great deal. So if you want to get it all together, uh, you can go up to drobostore.com and uh, use the coupon code TWIP for either the bundle or for the uh, or just a, a single uh, Drobo Firewire. 
Yeah. Or, or if you're you're really feeling lucky, you can head over to Twip Photo. And is Scott doing some sort of contest over there? He's giving stuff away. So I don't know if he's still doing that, but he was given. He's give, a giving away fool. So go over there. He's got he's got he's got him coming out of his ear. So uh, I mean, if I lived in Gig Harbor, I'd just stand next to him because he's probably going to give stuff away. Yeah, exactly. Just go. I heard about you on the internet, and you go here, here, kid, have a trouble. <laughs> Get away from me, kid. You bother me. Take a drive on here. Let's have a couple drives. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. All right. Um, Scott's personal uh, stimulus package for the, for yeah, the economy. <laughs> yeah, data stimulus package. You know, it would really, really be nice to have some uh, backup uh, in this uh, economy. Yeah. yeah, that's a whole nother show. Right yes, exactly. <laughs> so here's something for the people who know a little bit about video on the panel. <clears throat> Alex, Ron. Yes. Um, so Red, our friends over at Red, have previewed the Scarlet. Um, you want to tell us about that? Because I have no idea. I know what it's red just, is. I know why. I know just, I want one, but uh, I don't know why I need one, and I don't know why this the scarlet is significant. Red is good at red. The, I think the only company better at tantalizing people with small amounts of data is Apple. Yeah, you know, it's, yeah, exactly. red and Apple are up there. Where red knows that you know they they do the one thing that Apple doesn't do, which is that they'll tell you in far in advance uh, what's coming. And then they slowly give you the information of we are making progress. Don't lose faith. And and in some ways, this is a it's a very effective way to keep people from behind cameras, you know, and waiting, (laughs) waiting for the red um, because they think it'll be so much better. And it may be Uh, what this is the the ultimate, in my opinion, I mean, Ron can chime in as well. This is the ultimate convergence. We have a camera that just. uh, Yeah. That's what they're targeting, at least, right? Is is you know they've embraced more than anybody else, really, this concept that you know you've got a body and you've got lenses, and that body should be able to pick up video or stills, and the lenses should be interchangeable, and you know that's that's really kind of their whole sense of, of what this. I mean, they they call this the the DSMC, this digital digital still in motion camera, and that's specifically what it's trying to do is make sure that it's a camera that can just do everything. And it's like, would you like to take those one at a time, or would you like to take 120 when you push the button? <laughs> you, know, it's, wow. you know, 120 per second. You know, and, and you just turn the scale up, and you just decide how many photos you want to take. Um, and, and would you like to take those at 3K or 3,000 pixels wide, or would you like to take those at 28,000 pixels wide, which is the largest sensor that they're talking about? Um, the the Scarlet uh, is, uh, you know, I think about 3,000 uh, pixels wide, so it's a 3K sensor, uh, which isn't huge, uh, but when you consider shooting video, is quite a thing. And there's, there is going to be a Scarlet that's 6K, um, uh, wide and so uh, you know that's probably the equivalent I don't know I don't have it in my head but probably like an 18 megapixel camera um, but they have another uh, larger one that's 261 megapixels so 28,000 by I think 9,000 or something Jesus. and um, <laughs> it's kind of like it reminds me of the Steve Wright thing that said you know I made a map that was scale you know it was uh, the scale was one. So so it's just this huge sensor that uh, is uh, will change, you know, the way we think about photography if it, you know, if they actually can hit the mark. Now, have, but, yeah. so they're shipping. Not, bodies. None of this they're is really shi- news because. But they're shipping now, yeah. right? They're, they're, they have devices out in the, in the wild, right? 
Well, that's the, the only reason people are paying attention to them now is because they announced one and everyone thought they were crazy and then they shipped it. Oops. <laughs> you know, so, so, you know, so, so it was, you know, never, everyone was like, yeah, that, they're never going to actually, this is never going to come out. So now people think that they might actually be able to get it to come out. Yeah, when and, you, when uh, you see the images of, of this equipment in pictures, it really is something like you've never seen before. I mean, this stuff right. does have a futuristic look. Almost looks like Lego, actually, when I'm, I'm looking at some of this. And, and a large portion of these early adopters are people who aren't in the industry right now. They are the people who are taking advantage. You know, they want to be in the industry, uh, but they don't have the preconceived notions about where the dial should be and how the thing should be set up. Uh, they just want to, you know, they want the ultimate camera, and they don't have the money to buy a quarter-million-dollar camera. or half. You know, and, and these cameras are going to come out. The high-end one is going to be, you know, probably 80000 or $100,000 all combined with the, you know, all the pieces. But that's a fraction of what the cameras that it's competing with um, cost. So, uh, and the small cameras will be, you know, in the two thousand, three thousand dollar range uh, to start with. Uh, probably all, all set up maybe th- four or five thousand, which um, is is still very low com- considering what they do. So um, anyway, that's it. I mean, it's just they're showing some images. Uh, progress is still coming out, and uh, we'll have hopefully have more to talk about late this year um, as they are supposed to start shipping um, by the end of the year. Yeah. Yeah, I, w- I would like to see one. You know, it, it goes back to that whole idea of convergence again. You know, I'm wondering, uh, well, it, it becomes convergence and it also becomes, do I really want to switch away from my tried and true brand? Like someone like Steve, for example, who makes their living specifically on photography and they've invested in gear and bodies and you know your camera inside and out. Even if they come out with the holy grail of camera, video, interchangeability, yada, 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 are those people really going to switch over? So You're going to have to tear that Nikon out of my cool dead hands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I, and I would feel the same way, and especially in, in an economy like this. I don't know that, uh, I mean, I would just lust after that for until you know, I hit, hit, the, hit the jackpot somewhere. Yeah, I just hope the innovation that we're seeing continues and is, doesn't get stifled too much by this crazy economy we're in. Yeah. And the other thing, on the other end of the expense scale, uh, at least for me, something more in reach for <laughs> in my budget is Lens Baby. So uh, they went ultra wide with a new lens adapter. And I have, the, I have that Lens Baby composer, but I got to be honest, I played with it once, but I, I haven't gone out on enough photo walks where, and, and it, it, I'm not going to use, I don't think I'd use it on like a, a person shoot, but I haven't gone on enough shoots that I'd feel like I want to use it. Have you guys, you guys have Lens Babies, right? I don't. Yeah, I, I don't have one. I, I've always kind of thought, should I get one? I mean, I, well, I want to get one, but that was always my concern with it. Is, is kind of how often am I going to use it? I, right. I need to just borrow one from one of you guys and, and play with it a little bit to see if it's something that I would want to have in my bag of yeah, tricks. Yeah, I have. I have the older one, and I have to admit, I, I, I keep on meaning to go out and get the composer. The uh, I'll bring uh, mine up next time I'm up there. You can sure, sure, yeah, because I, I want to play with the composer one. I have the older one, and uh, you know, I have a lot of fun with it, especially at parties <laughs> or weddings. <laughs> No, but like like parties or weddings where there's a lot of people. I actually like taking it. It's, it's for me. It's kind of in that photo journal. Like, yeah. uh, but you you actually think you have it on, Alex? But you've just been drinking, and that's why. <laughs> exactly. I think it's a whole new level to to beer goggles, right? <laughs> and it, it really gives you a feel of what the what it, what what the uh, party looked he, like. He just wants he just wants to remember the night and the way in which he experienced it. <laughs> it's pure photojournalism. <laughs> Exactly. This is the way it felt. Uh, everything there was selective focus, and uh, there was a lot of things that were out of focus that probably should have been in focus. So, um, so the yeah, but it's it is a uh, the lens 
uh, I, I think that it's a lot of fun. It, it does give you a different look, especially like at a wedding. I took it to my sister's wedding and I just knew that there, she's got a professional photographer. There's, you know, 800 SLRs or something or there's 100 SLRs floating around. You know, I'm not going to capture anything really that different. Let's play with, you know, a different kind of lens. And um, and I shot pretty well with it. Actually, the person who shot really well with it was my son, my 11, my 11 year old son. You know, it took him no time to figure out what it was doing. And he shot probably the best photos, you know, that came out of that, you know, because he didn't have any pre- preconceived notions about what to do with it. Yeah. You know, I just, just like, it. yeah, just like, uh, you know, there's no bad publicity. Lens Baby now going ultra wide, super wide. You know, you can't get wide enough. It it takes the, the angle of view from 50 to 21 millimeters. So that'll open up a whole new kind of creative. Uh, yeah situation wow that's gonna be interesting wow 21 millimeters with selective uh selectively shallow uh, depth of field i want to see that i want to play with that so alex i'll bring mine up to san francisco next time i'm out there and uh i think we have a bunch of gadgets to switch around uh panorama robot and all that stuff so all kinds of stuff building up over here. All kinds of goodies up in San Francisco. So I want to jump into the picks of the week because I know there's some some good ones in there. Uh, Ron, have you had a chance to uh, think about what you want to pick this week? Uh, sure. Just tossed up a little quick one. This is uh, <laughs> this is the world's smallest tripod, basically. <laughs> it's, it's a little tiny thing. Uh, it's called the 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 millipod. Actually, it's called the millipod micro, and um, it it sort of folds up and it fits, if you can imagine, on a point-and-shoot, something that just made the point-and-shoot about an extra eighth of an inch taller. And it sort of uh, folds out to give you this mini mini set of legs off the bottom of your point-and-shoot and a little tiny bit of adjustment control over how much it tilts. But it's really for one of those scenarios where you want to just set your point-and-shoot down on the table or something like that and uh, and take a group photo or, or take a time-lapse or something like that. And it, it, it uh, has a little bit of adjustment. Um, it's like 20 bucks or something on Amazon. We'll put the link up on the show notes, but, uh, I don't use it uh, a whole lot and I don't even keep it on the camera all the time, but I could see a scenario where, you know, I, I would potentially just sort of screw it on cause it's such low profile and, uh, have it on the, on the bottom of my point and shoot. Now, can you, can you adjust the camera angle with it? Yeah, that's the the front leg, which sticks out a little bit. Um, can be it, that's the only place where you have the adjustment. So it's just a little bit of, you know, up and down tilt is effectively what you can control, and that's it. Right. It looks great. It looks like it, it looks much more sturdy than a lot of the little um, ones that you normally see, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I have several of those those other ones that you normally see, and I I typically keep one attached to the bottom of my point and shoot just for, you know, just because mm-hmm. I can. Uh, that looks much more compact, though. I like that. It is. It's nice, nice and tiny. So that's why it's probably worth worth checking out. But the only other one that I have is like my little Joby, you know, little Gorilla Pod. But but that's this one looks a lot smaller. So that that looks like one of the advantages. And the thing is with this one is you can still take your point and shoot, shove it in your pocket, and it's not really any any bigger when it's folded up. Right. Nice. Perfect. Nice. Very cool. Steve <laughs> Simon. What's your what's your I, pick of the week? I love my pick of the week, and maybe some of our viewers and you guys are familiar with it already because uh, I think a lot of this stuff has gone viral. But there's a photographer named Balakov who have, has recreated in Lego famous, iconic <laughs> photographic These are, these are pictures. great. These That's are just awesome. incredible. So he's got everything. I could just mention like Cartier-Bresson's famous puddle jump, and people remember it, to uh, Eugene Smith's walk through Paradise Garden, to the flag raising, to the Tiananmen Square tank standoff. I mean, all the, and to the kiss in Times Square from the 
from right after World War II. It, it's just a lot of fun and very well done and, and really kind of uh, a creative idea that you'd think it's a little bit crazy, but it's really fun to, to look at. And as photography fans, I know our listeners are going to get a kick out of these. Those are really cool. I, I wonder <laughs> I like if, I wonder if Belikov had to deal with any copyright issues when he's putting these. Yeah, exactly. It's derivative. What's that, Ron? I was going to say, there's the one that, that recreates the uh, that, that um, Bigfoot footage that uh, everybody has seen of you know that really grainy movie footage of the Bigfoot walking in the woods. Yeah, the, right. The Lego figure yeah. they use is a little mini Chewbacca. <laughs> There's also uh, the famous shot of the streaker in London or England somewhere where right, the right. cop has his hat over his private parts. And that one is. I mean, you know the image as soon as you see it. It's, yeah, it's yeah. Really and they have the, they have the Buzz Aldrin one on the moon, with, and it even has little crosshairs where the for the camera. It's so. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, uh, good stuff. Definitely uh, add Bal- Bal- Balakov, right? Add Balakov yeah. to your uh, to your flicker flicker friends. If you N- Natasha Kinski lying naked with the snake. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. what that one was. Yeah, exactly. I I was like, is that a snake or is that? <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right, uh, Alex Lindsay, what's your what's your pick of the week? So um, I'm, we're going to actually have a video of this up soon. Um, it's one of the things that I shot when I was in uh, it, when I was at PMA, and it's called a quick pod. And uh, you know, I, so I'm in San Francisco, and so I I see a lot of tourists who are trying to figure out. You don't want to hand your photo to some stranger to take a picture of you and the family in front of the Golden Gate Bridge, but you want you and the family in the Golden Gate Bridge, and and that and you can see this 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 dissonance that's always happening with these. Uh, you know, you know, half of San Francisco, it seems, during the summer is our tourists. And so you see this problem that they're dealing with all the time. You know, everyone takes turns taking the photos, but you can't get one group. So what the QuickPod does is it's, just, it's, it's a goofy little arm. <laughs> this is, this is the it, way to make yourself look even more like a goofy tourist. I know, but it works so well. So here's the deal. It looks funny. But one thing that, you know... Uh, one thing that I've learned is that you may look funny in a in a foreign land, but it really doesn't matter because you still have the photo that it it will look normal, and so it doesn't really matter. You know, no one really knows you there. So so anyway, this little this little handheld uh, this quick pod, you can put your little uh, your little camera on the end of it, and you can uh, so you can have a little camera on the end of it, and there's a little mirror. I couldn't figure out how this was actually going to work, but there's a little mirror. And when you have your camera set up correctly, you can have the little mirror. And as long as you see your face in the mirror, your face will be, you know, centered in the, you know, will be in the, in the photo. And so this little mirror lets you just kind of, you know, get it to the right angle and, uh, and fire it out. And, and you can get, you know, your picture of you and the family or you and your, your significant other or whatever it is. And yes, it will look a little geeky. And, uh, but it's great <laughs> for people like me also who are trying to shoot video. Yep. I might want to do an interview or I might want to talk about something and I don't want to set up a tripod, you know, and I can just kind of hang it out there and I can have kind of that almost handheld, you know, we'll have a handheld feel because it's on the end of a little stick. But um, yeah, it's, a, it's just a big extendable pole that you stick your camera on the end of and but it has a great little, turn on the timer. And it has a great little, um, and you turn on the timer mode and you just hit it, but it has a great, you know, it's a great, uh, and it, you know, it extends, you can put it back in your pocket or in your, you know, whatever you want to do there. And, and as I said, it's, it's a, it's a, it looks a little silly, um, but it is, it's definitely the answer to a bunch of problems that I've had in the past shooting video, because you can put a video camera on the end of this thing. But also for, I just see so many tourists who are, are having, uh, 
trouble trying to figure this out. And this is uh, a great solution for them. Especially the shy tourists that are afraid to ask other tourists to take pictures of them, right? So this is this is the instant uh, tap somebody on the shoulder. Hey, can you take a picture of me? I mean, you, you got to get to San Francisco. I just I, I watch them doing it, and I just walk over and I go, "You want me to take a picture?" And, you know, and, and 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 I've seen the angle so many times that I actually know where to stand. You know, it's just kind of. Like, <laughs> Go. Uh, you actually want to move a little bit that way and then up and then turn your head. Okay, there you go. And then you take the photo and you hand it back to him. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Cool. And my my pick of the week is, you know, I may get some flack for this because it's not necessarily completely photographic, depending on how you look at it. But it's uh, the Kindle 2. So I've been in, in just sort of in, involved in researching the Kindle 2. And a couple days ago... Uh, Amazon released the iPhone Kindle ebook reader. So that was my first chance to actually look at a Kindle book. And of course, they're photography books. So it sort of ties in to this week of photography. But uh, I got to say, uh, on the negative side, it's kind of a pain to read books on your iPhone, the Kindle book, because it's, it's it, for me at least, it just didn't feel right. I can see doing it in a pinch. But uh, I think the Trojan horse from Amazon's perspective might have been, hey, look, at you can actually read your books on your iPhone. Uh, but if you read really want a nice experience jump up to this new kindle 2 thing which now i'm really lusting after after having the uh having the iphone version mr brinkman i know you have a kindle one what's the uh what's the deal with it do you like it are you happy with it uh, well i i love it um fair disclosure <laughs> number one i work for amazon now <laughs> number two anything consequently anything i say is personally my opinion it has nothing to do with the opinion of amazon and i'm not getting paid to pimp it but yes I have a Kindle one, and, and I use it a lot. I mean, especially when you're you're traveling, you're going somewhere. I I, I definitely definitely enjoy it. So it's uh, I recommend it personally. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I, I'm uh, I'm you know two people at work have those, and uh, they keep bragging about them. And it seems like the the Kindle is almost as cultish as Macs are. You know, when people or iPhones when people get one. They can't help but do the word of mouth thing and tell you how great it is and how dumb you are for not having one. So, you know, and now I'm I'm sort yep. of caught in that See, vortex. That's the you know the, the same thing with the Mac. It's the cult of the impre- of the oppressed. Mm-hmm. Everyone makes fun <laughs> of them, and they they all just kind of coddle together and go, "Well, no, no, you're all stupid." <laughs> <laughs> or what is, what is that Stockholm syndrome when you get <laughs> <laughs> digital Stockholm syndrome? Yeah, I paid my three hundred and fifty yeah, bucks. Exactly. <laughs> And I'm proud of paying that 350 bucks. So we 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 have a we ha- we have a winner for our uh for our reflections, right? Yes, we do. There's a winner in there. Um Sarah is the winner. Or actually the the name of the photo is Sarah. Uh if you guys click on through to that, we'll we'll put the the links to the piece in the show notes, but uh it's you know, we had a winner that was similar to this several weeks ago or months ago or whatever that was sort of one of these reflections within reflections or within water drop type things and i think this one really worked well because of the sort of uh the the original reflective image in the background is you can still discern what it is and then you immediately know that this this sort of drops of water in the foreground replicating the image in the background are all in crisp focus so uh just if if you're not looking at this right now to to describe the image basically it's a shot of a person with uh, I think it's a child named Sarah uh, with sunglasses on uh, behind a sheet of presumably translucent material that's sprinkled with water 
the images that are in each droplet of water are in crisp focus of the person, the, the little girl behind them, and they're all inverted, of course. So it's, uh, it, I think it really captured the idea of what we were getting at with this whole reflection thing uh, in a creative way. What do you guys think? I thought yeah, it was I, it's cool. I think it's very cool. I think it's actually sort of starting to emerge as a meme because I've seen a few of these pop up in the last uh, couple months. Like you said, we had one that was similar, and I've seen a few other things like that. So I, I think a lot of people have discovered this this idea, but this was a very nice execution of it. Yeah. So uh, T W Geary is the uh, the the Flickr Twipper person that wins this one, and uh, the runner up. I just wanted to mention there was an also uh, an also really good one in here that I'm a fan of. It was called, or it is called, A Disturbance in the Matrix. It's a shot in Tokyo, Japan by James Justin, and we'll link to that one as well. It's a really cool shot. It's a shot of uh, a skyline uh, reflected in some water, and then he, of course, inverted it to, to put the skyline back upwards, and it just looks very illustrative and sort of surreal. Did you guys see that one as well? Uh, yeah, it, I thought it was great. It, you know, it, it's just you know, I I love taking. I never get good detail when I shoot reflections, but I always love doing it anyway because you you get this kind of surreal thing that you know it's just it's it's an organic thing that would be difficult to do digitally, and it just creates this this great look. Yep. Okay, so the assignment for this next assignment, uh, or the next assignment's topic, is complex. C-O-M-P-L-E-X. Interpret that however you want, but that's the uh, the contest for the next the next TWIP photo contest. Yeah, so Maybe I'll just take a headshot of you, Fred, and post that. <laughs> I am complex. Thank you very much, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also, I want to remind folks to head on over to the Flickr discussion and critique groups. Uh, we'll link to that if you can't find it uh, on Flickr. But there's always a lively discussion in there, and it's a good community to post your photos into and get lots of feedback from other people that are participating. Uh, it's a lot of stuff going on there, and it's growing. I think it was up to, I think it's scratching 9,000 members at the, the current point in time. Mm-hmm. And the latest poll results uh, are, the, the question was, if you don't do paid photography work now, would you consider, would you consider it, uh, would you consider it given the opportunity? And uh, 37.2% said yes, but only for selected subjects that I enjoy, occasional work. 11% said no, I fear it would take the fun out of the hobby. And 30% said yes, I hope to make it my career if I could. And 21% said no, I don't feel I have the skill to do this for money. So 37% is the winner, yes, um, but only for selected uh, subjects. I just wanted to add something, Fred. I Twittered uh, uh, a um, statistic that I came across, and that was there were 193,000 photographers working in the U.S. in 2008 compared to 167,000 in 2007. And the other interesting thing was um, the number of unemployed photographers doubled from 6,000 to 12,000 in the last quarter of 2008 compared to the same period in 2007. Wow. So... um, I'm a photographer. Those that are thinking of uh, becoming photographers, just don't. It's hard <laughs> enough right now. Stay out of my market. <laughs> Get out of my way. <laughs> All right. The new poll that's coming up that uh, we'll post after this one is, where do you buy the majority of your camera gear? And the, the choices are online vendors like B&H, Adorama, or Amazon, etc. Uh, local big box electronic stores like Best Buy, etc. Big camera. Or local camera shops like Ritz Camera, Pin Camera, or a non-chain private type establishment. As long as they last. 
as long as they last. You know, just a little quick anecdote on there. I've been trying for the past week to go buy a simple PC cord because mine mine died. Uh, I was going to go buy one after work. You know, start working regular sort of nine to five hours. And uh, all the camera shops in this area, in the San Jose area, close at like 5.30 or 6. So I have not been able to <laughs> to get to one to just buy a simple PC thing. So I'm thinking, you know, had I, had I ordered this on Monday from Amazon, I would have had it by now. You, know? you would have had it by Tuesday. Yeah, yeah, at exactly. Prime, and it would have cost you less. You know, and, and the, our disclaimer is, you know, we, we're, we're full of all kinds of incestuous things here. But Ron works at Amazon <laughs> and Fred works at Drobo. And so when we talk about it, but I, everyone knows that listens to anything. I, I order everything on Amazon. In fact, I'm starting to order my groceries on Amazon. <laughs> and so I, 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 my, my wife just bought a car and I told her that I wanted to check on Amazon to make sure they weren't selling cars before we went and went to a dealership. And, uh, hey, Alex, <laughs> soon you'll be ordering diapers on Amazon. Can you do that? Oh, we already do that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that was a long time ago. So, uh, in fact, I have to order them because I'm the one with Amazon Prime, and she wants them, like, tomorrow. So, uh, but you so, can't but, change diapers online, can you? Oh, yeah. That was, Sorry. Yeah, leave that alone. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this week's guest uh, is that we're going we're gonna, to uh, talk to in just a second is Jason Kiefer. He's... Uh, the CEO, actually, he's the founder and CEO of a company down in Torrance, California, and in the LA area called Pictage. And what Pictage does is uh, their claim to fame is they are the. I th- I'm not. I'm not sure if this is what what the the metrics are behind this, but they're the uh, largest community of wedding photographers online, and they they basically do everything for the photographer after the shoot. That's sort of their marketing slogan. So you get out there, you shoot a wedding, and dump all your images on them, and they'll handle the marketing to the bride and building the albums and ordering and credit card processing and all that crazy stuff on the back end. Jason started the company a while ago. And uh, was kind enough to sit down with me and have a quick conversation uh, about the state of the industry in terms of how the wedding photographers in particular are dealing with the economic downturn. We talked a little bit about competition from the likes of Smug Mug, who is coming on strong into the pro market. And also, I had a really good discussion about uh, search engine and uh, other ways to market yourself other than the traditional word of mouth, which wedding photographers typically rely on these days. So have a listen to it. This is Jason Kiefer with Pictage. Okay, so I'm here with Jason Kiefer. He's the founder and CEO of Pictage. Pictage is uh, one of the, if not the most uh, popular uh, wedding lab and and sort of community for wedding photographers out there. And Jason is the guy that sort of pulled it all together and in many ways defined the industry around what community for wedding photographers means and, you know, setting standards of service and all that that good stuff. So uh, I'm lucky enough to get jason to uh chat with me on twip hey jason hey fred great to uh great to be on i appreciate it oh no no problem thank you so you know first off i wanted to a lot of people they've heard of pictage but they may not have necessarily heard about the force behind pictage and how the company came about and and you know, i know the story but a lot of people may not can you uh just sort of go into that a little bit why why you came up with pictage and and what's its origins Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, you know, my wife and I started Pictage about ten years ago, and it really all came out of our own wedding. Um, we had we were married in July of '99, you know, the heyday of the internet bubble, and we um, 
we got our wedding proofs back, and it was you know these two giant proof books filled with seventeen hundred prints, um, you know one black and white, one color book, and they were just fantastic images. But uh, our friends and family live all over the country and all over the world, and we realized no one was ever going to see them. And so what we did is we, you know, we just took a flatbed scanner and we scanned a bunch of our proofs at, at low resolution, and, and with our photographer's permission, we posted them to our personal website. And we said, "Wow, that's great! Now everybody's going to be able to see these images, and isn't that cool?" And then we realized, wait a sec, these are really good. People are going to buy these. Yeah. And so we scanned our photographer's order form. And put that online because we were like, we don't want to deal with, you know, you know, anybody calling us and saying, oh, I want a four by six of this or whatever. And so we did that. And next thing you know, our photographer is calling us going, you know, where did, where did I get all these orders from? And we said, that's, that's pretty cool. We were able to expand her revenue um, and by, by displaying her, her work to, to people that um, would have never seen it. Um, but we also thought, you know, I mean, we were actually looking for a business to start at the time, and we just didn't think there was much to it. I mean, hey, we were, you know, uh, you know, we were just two people, and we we put those, you know, put um, effectively an e-commerce system together for photographers. It was very easy to do, you know. So posting images online is something that's very easy to do, and we knew that there would be, you know, a ton of different ways that you that a photographer can do that. So we we just said, look, that that's not a real business, and. Um, you know, we kind of went on our way, and and then she called us a little while later, and she says, you know, I'm still getting orders, and you know, I'm not happy about it, <laughs> and 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 we were like, well, why aren't you happy? And she says, well, you know, it's my process, and she walked us through the whole process of how she does production and taking credit cards and getting the negatives and putting on a crop card, and sending it to the lab, and print and packaging the prints and shipping them out, and you know, and and just all the customer service that went along with that. And we realized that she was an artist and she didn't want to be doing all this stuff. Um, and, you know, really she was making the bulk of her money off of the shoot fee and the wedding album. And, and you know, all of this other stuff really wasn't contributing to her bottom line, but was causing her a lot of work. Yeah. And we thought, boy, that's now that's a business. If we could actually partner uh, with professional photographers to take all that back office you know, labor off and burden off of them while simultaneously getting them more revenue um, by ex- exposing their um, images to more people, then we would really have something. We'd be a true partner with a professional photographer. And, and with that, we started uh, Picage in December of 99. And, uh, you know, and the rest is sort of history. It's, uh, you know, it's been a great ride. So you guys, so you, when you started the business, you, you appealed to that that one piece that that most creatives have, and that's I hate the business side of this. <laughs> you know, sort of, <laughs> sort of taking that pain away. Because you hear, you, I, I've seen this over and over again. Really great artists, photographers, or whatever that can shoot rings around other people, uh, but make less money because those other people are better marketers. So you guys swing in and and sort of alleviate that pain. Well, that you know, that was definitely the idea, and of course, you know, there's only so much we can do. Uh, you know, effectively, we, uh, you know, we didn't really have, um, we couldn't really help the photographer get the booking in the first place, at least not at the time. Right. Um, but we could, you know, once they had the event and they wanted to, you know, sell more from it, and also, you know, the whole production process. And we did, you know, we we ended up streamlining the album workflow. You know, we do album designs. We do, you know, once you actually shoot a wedding and you put it on Pictage. You know, everything else is just a few clicks to to be able to order all of the products that you need. Um, and if you know, you can actually you know we 
uh, you know, in Pictage, you can uh, a bride or a mother of the bride or whoever can go in and actually request an album design from their favorite images. And we'll have designers create the design, show it to them, and then they can purchase an album right online. So, uh, coffee table books and all that kind of stuff. So, so, it, so, all, so it all... No, I was going to say, so from from a from the standpoint of a person that hasn't heard about Pictage before, and they're say they're a wedding photographer already, and they're, they're shooting, I don't know, maybe you know, a moderate 15 weddings a year or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, they're doing it all themselves, you know, and their, their weekends are filled with shooting and every other weekend is filled with processing and doing all this other stuff. So right. w- what, and they just heard this interview, you know, so what is in it for them and what's the experience that they're going to get when they sign up and pay that? It's a, it's a hundred dollars a month right now, right? Right. Absolutely. No. So, so, <clears throat> and really, you know, you've, you sort of hit right at the, the edge of where, Pictage historically has been sort of appropriate for. Um, mm-hmm. You know, generally we say you got to do at least you know ten events, preferably more weddings per year, in order to really justify the use of Pictage, um, and that's really the area that we've been focused on. And so, you know, traditionally in the past, you know, you would the, a photographer would upload an event to us. They pay with the, you know the fees are ninety nine dollars a month plus a fifteen percent commission on say on um, uh, any online sales, um, and then you know. Once it's online with us, they would release it to their customer, um, the bride or or whoever, uh, and then they in turn will actually release it to all of the guests. And this this dual stage process is really important because it allows um, the the bride then to go and put in all of her email addresses and and pop it out to all of her friends and family. Uh, and also, you know, what's another really important element to that is that you know weddings. In particular, a lot of dressing room shots, and so brides don't usually want those shown to everybody, and so they go ahead and make those private, or the photographer can make those private, so that they're not shared with, they are shared with the bride, and she can have them in her album and, and order prints from them and all of that, but not shared with the rest of the friends and family. That's what we call, you know, sort of the Pictage e-commerce engine, and so that whole process. Once you once you've got an event online, it's very simple to make that happen. There's also a whole set of wholesale products that we offer, which is which are, you know, things like, um, you know, our free album design service to photographers, our our proof books, um, album binding. We partnered with, you know, Zook Binders, Leather Craftsman, and then we've got our own line called Willow Book. Um, you can buy coffee table books and all of the different kinds of proof prints and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. uh, from us as well. Uh, and we also have payment processing, uh, which is included in that. Um, we've got a, a photographer directory, which is we've, we've just launched and we're really excited about to, you know, try to get photographers more bookings. Um, and, you know, a variety of other things in- included in that plan. And then on top of that, we've got, you know, really a community of, you know, thousands upon thousands of photographers who really try to help each other out. Yeah. Um, you know, we've got one of the most active forums um, in the industry. And, you know, the the great part about our forum is that it's it's actually behind a, a firewall, so you don't get brides coming in and looking at it. Uh, only Pictage members can look at it, and therefore, you, you know, we have really candid discussions about really about photography um, and about the business of photography um, that are, are happening on our forums. We've got a lot of other community events and that sort of thing, and that's all included in what we'll call our our Pictage Pro package. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> But that really hasn't been appropriate for, you know, sort of this, you know, um, you know, somebody who's doing under 10 weddings a year um, right. or is just getting into the business. And we've really tried to do our best, you know, to try to filter out, 
you know, people who are trying to sign up for Pictage uh, if, if they don't kind of meet that criteria. Uh, understanding that really our workflow is, is much too robust for their needs and, um, and the price is too high too. So then what, so, do, what do those folks do? So say, say it's me and I'm just starting and I'm only, I'm only shooting, you know, if I'm lucky, six weddings in 09, that kind of thing. Is Pictage, you know, is Pictage sort of, okay, I'll push that off? for a little bit later you know in, in the past to be honest you know really that's that's what we've we, we've done we just we just haven't been able to we haven't been able to to make our system appropriate for that group of clients but you know we've been really for the past several years trying to figure out how do you know how do we make it simpler how do we limit the set of features so it's really just what you know sort of an emerging professional needs um, and we are actually about to launch the service. It's called Pictage Lite. Yeah. Um, and it's going to include all of the sort of key elements that Pictage has um, as far as the e-commerce engine, so being able to sell all of these products to um, the bride and all of the friends and family. And one of the core parts of what Pictage does and really separates us from, I think, any other service like us is not only the fulfillments and all of the stuff we do on the back end, but it's all the marketing that we do. So we've really, we optimize our events so that they generate absolutely the maximum sales possible. And we've been doing that for nine years. Uh, you know, that was the, our goal right from the beginning. Um, uh, and so we have, you know, fully optimized sites and a whole process that generates the absolute maximum amount of uh, sales possible. So all of that will be included in Pictage Lite. Also, Pictage Lite will have access to uh, our community uh, and all of the community uh, elements uh, of Pictage, but really, you know, the rest of the services, um, including the directory and payment processing and and all of the wholesale products and the free album design, all of that really are, are going to be restricted from that service. So it's a really a streamlined way to be able to get events online and start your, you know, sort of digital storefront, you know, within literally minutes. Um, and the price point on that's going to be a lot better. It's going to be, um, you know, under $200 a year. Uh, as opposed to, you know, the core pictage offering of, of $99 a month. And, of course, we'll be running specials on that and such. So. Right. Now, is there an easy way? So once, you, once you're a, a Pictage Lite uh, subscriber or customer and you, you decide that you want to move up to Pictage Pro or the, the pro level, um, is it just as easy as changing your account preferences or what do you have to yeah, do? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, of course, you can, you know, as a Pictage Lite member, can upgrade to pro uh, at any time. Wow. Okay. So then, that when when does that go live? Uh, the next couple of weeks, we should have it out. So that means I can Twitter about it right now. Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. Now we've been we've been out talking. There's actually a website that you can go to light.pictage.com. That's L-I-T-E. Pictage.com, which describes the benefits and and uh, um, uh, you know kind of shows what's in the core Pictage offering and then what's in Pictage Lite. So then, okay, so we've got Pictage Pro. We know the history of Pictage. We know Pictage Lite is on the horizon to address those other folks that aren't ready to jump into that $100 or $99 a month level. Uh, so what's next for Pictage? You know, what, what are you guys, to the extent that you can talk about unreleased products and services, you know, what, what can you tell the TWIP audience that uh, Pictage has, has up its sleeve? Sure. Well, you know, one of the things that we, uh, we're going to be launching is a, um, a slideshow software. So it's now going to be included in, uh, in the uh, Pictage Pro offering. Uh, and that is going to uh, allow you to choose any set of images um, from Pictage just by clicking on them um, and then create a slideshow with music that you can publish on your blog and that sort of thing. Hmm. Um, so that's a, a key 
piece of functionality that we're adding. Uh, the Pictage directory is another, you know, huge area of focus for us. Um, you know, especially in these economic times, you know, everybody needs more business. And so um, the, the Pictage directory we're launching as a cooperative advertising model where, uh, so if you just go to Pictage.com and you click on Find a Photographer, you can see the directory and what it's all about. But you know the basic premise premise of it is that photographer will put up a listing, um, and you know they don't get you know as long as you're a Pictage member, you don't get charged for putting up the listing, um, you don't get charged for leads, you don't get charged for website clicks or anything like that. Um, but if somebody books you, um, then there's a fee associated with that booking. It's a success fee, mm-hmm. um, and 100% of that fee is going to go back into our advertising budget for the directory. Um, so the idea is we're not going to make any profit off of the directory itself. Um, you know, we just want to give our clients uh, more business. So one, they'll give more events to us because we make money off events, and two, then you know, they'll be happier and they'll stay with us. Excellent. Um, yeah. And so we're really excited about that. We just just launched it. Still sort of in the optimization phase, but it's just looking great. Really excited about it. That's awesome. So then, Jason, a, a, lot, of, a lot of photographers, myself included, are, you know, really p- proud of our blogs and our websites. And, you know, many of them have established a certain look and feel for their corporate identity. So mm-hmm. how, do, how does Pictage reconcile that? So if I'm, and, and talk me through this. So say I'm, you know, I subscribe, subscribe for Pictage, to Pictage Pro or Lite, and my bride, who's been exposed to my brand from, you know, all my, my business card all the way down to my, my invoicing and all that stuff. And then when they click the link to head over to look at their proofs, is there any way to customize that so that they have a consistent brand experience? Or how do you, how are you handling that? Well, yeah, I mean, so, so the, um, the, uh, pic- the photographer's logo is, you know, it's really, really, but the Pictage site itself is actually primarily photographer branded. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the photographer's logo is in the upper left-hand corner. They can choose the background color between black and white. Um, you know, the interface is just pretty much is pretty standard. Um, so really when they, and all of the emails really don't have any Pictage branding in them as well. And uh, we're also experimenting with, um, right now, we do a lot of baby testing to try to figure out which emails will be read more often, whether they, if we say it's coming from the photographer or coming from Pictage. Yeah. Um, in general, what we found, interestingly, is that um, you know uh, photographers like to use us as a as a, and, and explain, and the ones who are very successful us tend to explain to their brides and guests that you know we're a partner with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, so that, so that they effectively are, you know, offloading the print ordering and fulfillment to us. Um, and that gives them sort of the ability to have, you know, their brides call us and not the brides so much, but who typically do business with the photographer directly, but more the guests, you know, the mother of the bride, mother of the groom, um, to do business uh, with us directly. And so they, you know, they, we have, you know, an active, um, uh, phone support center, email support, all of that, which we communicate directly with, um, um, as the customers who are trying to purchase on our site, um, ask, answer any questions, handle any, you know, any kind of uh, feedback related to that. But in terms of the branding, it's still it is a um, it is a primarily a photographer branded site. You know, a little Pictage powered by Pictage logo in the lower right hand corner. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's you know through feedback from our photographers. You know, we, we used to it used to be a completely Pictage branded site. Yeah. Um, and we've done a lot of testing to figure out which works better. Um, and the fact of the matter is it really doesn't make much difference. So we're, we're okay. <laughs> yeah. We're okay either way. Right. We, everything, literally every single change we make to the website is A-B tested. 
So, you know, I've got um, I, I've got two versions of it running simultaneously in a random grouping of events, and and then I know whether or not that change is hurting or increasing revenue. And that's one of the core value propositions that we give to our customers um, is that we figure out how to get them more sales, and that's how we do it. That's that's one of the many ways we A/B test everything. It's you know between that and the promotions, and um, you know we do um, you know every uh, every event if the photographer wants can have a two uh, a free two-for-one promotion, to double prints promotion. Yeah. Um, and that's life-cycled, so it just automatically happens, and that thing drives sales like crazy. So, um, uh, so as, that, as that, the, that marketing engine is that's happening in the background for the photographer when they're presumably doing other stuff that they like to do, um, yeah. do they, how, does, how does payment happen? Do they just, you just, does Pictage just cut the photographer a check every month, or do you d- direct deposit it? How does that happen? Yeah, it's uh, you know it's it's actually uh, our photographers have an account, so anything that gets sold online, you know, the proceeds from that mm-hmm. go into their account. If they buy any, uh, you know, album products or whatever it is, um, those you know get taken out of the account. The charges for that get taken out of the account. At the end of the month, if we owe the photographer money, um, then we we uh, send them a check, mm-hmm. and if uh, if they owe us money, we ding a credit card and. Um, you know, it's pretty simple. Got it. And they can log on at any time to see whatever activity is happening, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We've, um, you know, it's, it was a relatively complicated accounting uh, because, you know, there's, there's sort of money flowing both ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we got a lot of feedback from our photographers that they wanted, you know, sort of a clearer um, statement of exactly where all the money is going. And so through, you know, five different rounds of feedback from our customers, we've finally gotten to, a, um, you know, an accounting um, online account statement that uh, you know everybody's pretty happy with. Yeah. So then, it, it, speaking of money, uh, we're we're in a kind of a shaky economy right now, uh, and you sitting where you're sitting, you you probably have a bird's eye view of the industry in terms of how photographers, or professional photographers, are being impacted by the economic downturn. Uh, what yeah. are you, what are yeah. you seeing yeah. from from your vantage point of you know how wedding photographers are faring in this market? Oh, it's terrible. Terrible. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm just, you know, I, I got into this business and, and, uh, you know, people said, Hey, you know, it's great business. Weddings are, um, they're recession proof. You know, everybody's always got to get married and, um, and that's true. Um, and in fact, you know, the statistics that I'm seeing, uh, show that just as many weddings are being professionally shot, you know, in 2008 as 2007, mm-hmm. um, the wedding report.com, um, you know, you can go in and actually get a free account, uh, uh, you know, sort of a trial account there. Um, I think they've got pretty good data. Really interesting, um, that 2008 was actually reported to be, I think 23% down, in terms of spending um, uh, on on photography, 24% weddings overall, uh, which is just a disaster when you think about it. I mean, you know, all of the spending in 2008 happened. You know, it was all locked before you know the financial crisis hit in the mm-hmm. fourth quarter of last year. Yeah. Um, and since then, it's gotten much worse. Um, so, you know, and I, I, I kind of look back at 08 and I say, well, you know, why why was it that you know spending was hit so bad in 08? But you know, you look back to August 2007 when the um, some subprime uh, crisis hit, yeah, and that's really when the uh, home equity line started getting pulled, and you know that 
wedding uh, spending overall has been on a tear over the past, you know, 10, 15 years. I mean, it's just increasing year over year, every year dramatically um, to the point, you know, where weddings are averaging like $30,000. Wow. And, um, and, you know, you know what's driven by, right? It's cheap money. Yeah. And uh, a lot of people, you know, taking money out of their house to, uh, to uh, finance their wedding. So, um that's, I think that's over. You know that they, that those those days are over, and and we're going to be back down more to historical levels, um, and uh, we're definitely seeing a shakeout. Um, you know, in the professional photography industry. Um, yeah. You know, there's a lot of people hurting, and uh, you know, it's not a it's not a fun time. So it's sort of a, a Darwinism of the the pro photo space, right? Yeah, I mean, you could say that it's, you know, there's been a massive increase uh, in the influx of new photographers into the industry, um, really since digital gained uh, prevalence, um, you know, four to five years ago. Um, and since then, it, it, you just see a massive increase of, of the number of photographers or people saying that they're a photographer. Um, you know, I still think that, you know, the bulk of weddings are shot by a handful. Yeah. You know, it's the, the 80-20 rule, mm-hmm. you know, 20% yeah. of all photographers in the industry. I think in our industry, it might be the, <laughs> it might be the uh, 10% rule. Yeah. You got, you know, 80% of weddings being shot by 10% of the photographers. Yeah. Um, because just because there are so many people who say that they're wedding photographers. Um, but that said, you know, budgets are moving down. Um, and so a lot of the established, um, established photographers are either having to, you know, figure out new angles for marketing. And I've heard some great ones. Um, uh, or, you know, they're, they're suffering because, you know, they're, they're, they're getting price pressure. And if they're not reacting to that, uh, they can lose a lot of business. Yeah. So, okay. What, what are some things that photographers say, say you're a new photographer jumping in, uh, signing up for Pictage Light in this economy? What advice would you give to that person to survive and thrive? Well, it's a, it's, a, it's a hard time to be <clears throat> to be getting into the business, and um, and so I would just make sure you don't quit your day job. Yeah. Uh, you know, at, at this stage, obviously, you know, if you come in as a as a budget photographer in this market, um, you know, you have a, a chance at competing. The problem is um, there are so many of them mm-hmm. that what we're seeing is that the that you know that there are just massive amounts of people fleeing the industry. Um, so I think that if you're coming into the industry now, the, the key thing to do is to set yourself apart in some way. And it's classic branding, right? Mm-hmm. What is it that distinguishes you from everybody else? And if it's just price, um, there's just, there's, you know, there's 10,000 other people that are going to be in your area that are going to be basing their um, you know, basing their, um, they try, or trying to be successful on, on competing on price. And, and ultimately, you know, most of them will fail. Um, so really that you've got to find some way to distinguish yourself, whether it's, you know, through, um, you know, innovative, innovative products or solutions or just, you know, um, being a great networker. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, is that, you know, I know there's been lots of conversations about the uh, relationship building in the, in the wedding photographer industry and, and the referrals and how that's such a critical part of, of, of doing business as a wedding photographer and surviving. Uh, is that still the case or should photographers start looking to alternative methods to get the word out about them like, say, Google AdWords or things like that? Or should they just focus solely on referrals? 
Well, look, you know, referrals generally are the cheapest form of, of advertising, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, I, I know this from experience, you know, Pictage's entire growth trajectory tra- trajectory has been driven by referrals and still is today. Yeah. Um, you know, so I think that, you know, getting out there and, and doing things like blogs and Facebook and Twitter and, um, you know, uh, and getting to know as many people in the industry, specifically, you know, your local area, all the vendors and all of those types of things, and really, you know, giving as much as you can to the vendors who might refer business to your, your way. I think those things are, are critical, and those, are, those should be, you know, any photographer's primary form of advertising. Secondarily, you know, second to that, um, you know, we just actually did a comprehensive study on where people are putting their advertising dollars. And um, what we found is that, you know, uh, things like print ads and online listing services and and those sorts of things um, are really expensive. I mean, somewhere in between $700 and um, uh, $1,000 per uh, wedding booked. I mean, huge amounts of money that, that people are spending on advertising in those areas. Um, you know, sort of the next, you know, next rung down would be, you know, sort of the pay per lead services, which mm-hmm. are still expensive. Um, you know, could be in between two and five hundred dollars per booking. Um, and then, you know, but the, the best form of advertising uh, that we've we've seen in terms of advertising as opposed to referral marketing and word of mouth and all that, which I contend is the best, mm-hmm. uh, the next best is AdWords. Um, and, uh, you know, people are averaging about 260 to $280 per booking mm-hmm. um, when, they're, when they're using AdWords. Now, some people spend a lot less, some people spend a lot more. Still a relatively expensive way to uh, advertise. So unless you've, you know, you got a good profit margin on, you know, each event, um, you know, that's, that's an, ex- it's still an expensive way to go. Yeah. Um, you know, the idea behind the Picard directory is really to take advantage of, you know, sort of the best forms of advertising and just be able to, you know, uh, give it to a wider group so we can pay for one click and give it to multiple, multiple photographers. Um, and so that's, that's really what we're, we're really trying to do a little bit of, um, you know, uh, click arbitrage there. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, I think yeah, wedding photographers or anybody in in a small business they need to become really slim and really savvy and aggressive in this market. And you know what what better way to do it than with targeted yeah. advertising? I, I've heard you know I've got a lot of great feedback from people that you know blogs um, really work, mm-hmm. um, and but you have to know how to use them. Um, yeah. But you know the trick is uh, you know um, do things like uh, talk about other vendors in your blog so that you. Can get picked up in their search results and you know flash sites are definitely um you know uh on the outs right now um, mm-hmm. because of the you know the problem with uh seo so blogs get picked up by seo really fast i mean generally they run on a google infrastructure and um, google picks them up right away and 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 uh you want to try to get as much when i say seo i mean search engine optimization as opposed to sem which is like adwords or search engine marketing right um, so really what you what you want to be focused on is is you know making sure that you're um, you're coming up as many searches as possible and as high up in those searches as possible um, it's complicated and you know there's all sorts of different you know it's it's very you know um, it's it's not transparent how one gets to be high in search engines right um, it's the Google special uh, sauce right <laughs> exactly <laughs> I mean there are people that are making a lot of money consulting other people on how to how to do this um, yeah. so it's uh, it, it is definitely there's there's a science to it and there is an art to it and you never know which one's going to come in more handy right. um, but uh, it is a, it is you know 
that's a, a fantastic. If you, can, if you can get up high in the search engine in your local area, that'll be you know that's a, that's a great way of getting free traffic. Yeah. And and of course the key thing there is then you you've got to know when when somebody clicks on your website, where are they going? Um, you know so. A lot of people, you know, tend tend to think of their website as a um, uh, it's it's a display case, mm-hmm. right? It's a, it's my brochure, mm-hmm. and I, and I I tend to say that that is totally the wrong way of looking at a website. Um, the, the website, you know, that generates it was one a source is, is, should generate traffic for you. You mm-hmm. want it to be something that can go out and and generate traffic through SEO. When somebody comes to your website, though, the primary goal of that of your website is to get them to give you their information. Mm-hmm. You have to get the email address, you got to get the phone number, and you got to do that. And that's and that's how you should be judging the success of your 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 website. Is you know, for every click that comes in, you know, or how many clicks does it take for me to get one lead? Right. And then you got to know how many of those leads you can close. Um, but really, it's a you know, it's a traffic and lead generating tool. And and it is it is nothing more than that. Now, yeah, you'll have to show your brand, and there are different ways that you're going to make that close. But the metric that you're you're looking at is you know how many leads did I get for every you know every one click coming in. And I found some you know we found some really surprising things there. Um, like if you're coming from a search engine, a lot of times it's that first page. Mm-hmm. Like literally, the page you land on should be the the one that absolutely requires that they give you their information before they can see anything. Absolutely. Um, and you should be testing that and find out whether or not that gets you more traffic, you know, more inf- more sort of contact information. Because mm-hmm. it's with that contact information that you can go and you can sell yourself. Um, and uh, you know, we use this on our own, you know, in Pitash, you know, just to, you know, uh, you know, when when new photographers come in. And are looking at Pictage, for instance. You know, we we pop up the screen and say, "Well, give us your information first. Yeah, because right? ultimately, that's all the website's good for. Yeah, and a lot of photographers that, that I've seen will will run ads or otherwise market their their website and just drive leads or or clicks directly to their front page to their dot com front page and expect yeah. people to sort of experience their work and have a sudden epiphany that I need to hire this person and find their contact page and then go through all that. And that's you're saying that they need to drive people to a place where they can immediately capture them, and then they can go on right. and browse, right? Right, right. And you see that that's that's what I mean. Uh, a lot of um, a lot of clever websites these days will request the get you know they make you give some information first, and then you get information. So yeah. you can still have all of the beautiful you know galleries and all of that kind of thing, um, but. You know, ultimately, somebody came to your website for a reason, mm-hmm. and if you let them leave without telling them who you are, then you've lost an opportunity to sell them something. And yes, a website can be a good sales tool, but really, the thing that you know, the, the thing that's going to sell is the photographer's communication with the customer. That's what's really going to sell them. And so, if you let somebody come to your website and your website doesn't sell them, it may be it may be that you could have sold them if you had their information. So the website's primarily got to be the way of getting the information about the person who's come to your website, um, and you need to figure out what the best way of doing that is. Um, sometimes it may be having the application form or the not the application form the uh, uh, the lead form buried. You know, request. Um, uh, you know, contact me. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the best way to do that is like an availability check. Just you know, don't call it a you know, don't call it a contact me. Say you know, check my availability. Or, right. Uh, right. You know, 
and you can put that right up front. You can put that, you know, you, you land on the site and boom, it says, hey, you know, check, check, you know, let me see if even if I even have the date available. Give me your information. Give me yeah. your wedding date and give me your, give me your email address and give me your phone number. Um, and uh, uh, that's a, a, you know, a, um, is a really great way to do it and, and can ultimately maximize the value that you're going to get from any of the advertising sources that you're doing. And it, that can make the difference and that can make all the difference in the world um, in terms of whether or not an advertising source is successful for you or not. That's brilliant. Now, now should photographers, assuming they're going to get a massive and they follow all your instructions and they, they go out there and you know they form this AdWords, let's say it's an AdWords campaign, and they start driving traffic to a customized landing page that is performing phenomenally and they're getting all sorts of leads from it, should the photographer, him or herself, uh, be responding to those leads or should they have someone else like a salesperson following up for them? Well, I think it depends on the, it depends on the studio. I mean, if you're a small studio, obviously it should be the photographer. Yeah. Um, uh, you, you, the fact is you're just not going to get that many leads. Um, um, and so it's worth following up on every one. I mean, yes, it takes a little bit of time, but how else are you going to get business? Right, um, right. There's just, there's just no, you know, photographers sell themselves a lot better based on personality in addition to the quality of work that they do. Yeah. Um, so you want to do things that are going to allow your personality to show. So you get that, you get somebody requesting information, you know, then you want to send them a personalized note, you know, and say, Hey, you know, uh, you know, if they didn't give you the phone number, but if they got the phone number, give them a call, yeah. you know, because getting on the phone with somebody is, you know, is just that much better. You so. form that relationship, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And a lot of photographers have had success with video, posting videos on their site, mm -hmm. you know, that show their personality. Yeah. Um, and that can be very effective as well. Um, you know, whatever it takes to get somebody to give you that information is, is the key. Yeah. Now, now, Jason, moving on to, to other topics here uh, before we wrap it up. I know there's been there's been some, uh, you know, flurry on the web. Or I don't want to say flurry, but there's been some discussion on the web uh, about you and your moving around and taking on a different role within the company that you built. Um, I was hoping you could sort of give us the insiders and from the horse's mouth perspective on what <laughs> what Jason Kiefer is actually doing rather than the, all the innuendo that's floating around. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's it's pretty simple. I, I am I've you know I've been I, I've been acting as the uh, CEO for the past uh, almost ten years, um, and uh, you know really where where I'm at right now is that I, I'd like to take on more of a strategic role, um, become chairman of the company, and I'm looking for somebody to really run this day to day, somebody who can really you know deliver sort of that next level of success uh, to Pictage, and and I think we finally reached it. I just feel great that we've actually reached a stage where I can go out and you know uh, go. Start Start taking uh, pictures, actually. Do that. <laughs> well, no, not so much that, but uh, but just that Picasso has reached a stage where you know we could be um, uh, you know attractive to somebody who um, who could you know and come in and, and really take this company to to the next stage. And, That's awesome. Um, well, yeah. congratulations. You know, finally some time to actually spend with your your wife and family, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, hopefully I will get I will get more time off, um, but uh, I still find I'm being pretty darn involved. So. That's great. That's awesome. So then, last question uh, is: there's been you know there's been increasing competition from the likes of Smug Mug up here in the Bay Area, and you know with their they're launching sort of a uh, pug 
uh, Pictaj user group type service with their smug groups, and they've also launched a pro service that looks like it's targeted specifically at what Pictaj's sweet spot was. You know how how is Pictaj sort of bracing against the onslaught of other competitors that are sort of jumping into the space right now of all times with the economy like it is? <laughs> well. You know, look. I mean, we've had we've had a lot of competitors over the years, and um, you know, there. I wouldn't say that there's an onslaught of new competitors now. I mean, I think you know, SmugMug's been around a long time, and they've they've uh, they've had a pro solution for a long time, um, and and I, I think that you know they've been a, a great. A great solution for the emerging pro, um, and uh, I think that the, you know the the new the new pro service that you know that they're offering really is is I think it's probably targeted more towards the emerging pro, um, and I think we've got a great solution there. Um, uh, but I, I think that you know there there have been a lot of other companies that have worked uh, in the um, uh, you know the emerging pro space. So mm-hmm. I call it the emerging pro somebody who's just getting you know getting going in photography. Yeah, um, and you know there are companies out there that have you know tens of thousands of photographers uh, that are in that you know in that arena. Some some really great services out there. Um, so I, I think that you know um, you know I, I think we are you know just going to continue to do more and more of what we have always done, which is we're going to listen to our customers, find out what they want, and we're going to you know um, we're going to give them what they want. Um, you know, and and continue to grow our community and and focus you know more and more on um, all of the ways that we can help educate photographers and and get them networking and and make them more successful. So you know I think we're going to continue to do. Um, what we've been doing, and, and it's, you know, it's, hey, imitation is the uh, most sincere form of flattery, as yeah. they say. So, you know, it's good to see that other others are out there recognizing, um, you know, some of the successes that we've had and, and, uh, and are trying to do it, too. Excellent. Awesome. So, Jason, where, where would you like the, the TWIP listening audience to go to learn more about Pictage and you and all that good stuff? Well, you can go to, uh, you know, www.pictage.com, uh, and from there, you know, there's a section for photographers, which is sort of on the lower left. You can go right in there um, uh, to, to learn more there. And if you're like, interested in Pictage Lite, lite.pictage.com. Um, and you can also go to community.pictage.com, um, which will, you know, kind of show you a lot of our, you know, we have blog and, and um, uh, give you uh, access to sort of see what our pugs are about and that sort of thing. Excellent. Jason, thanks so much for taking the time today to chat with me well i appreciate the opportunity thank you very much we'll have to have you on again uh after pictage light has got its feet its feet wet and uh we'll, we'll chat about how it's going sounds great sounds cool. great all right thanks all right, Jason. thanks a lot mm-hmm. all right bye-bye. bye okay so that was jason Kiefer. he's the he was ce or he is the ceo and founder of pictage down in los angeles if you want to learn more about pictage and the stuff that they're working on definitely check the links in the show notes or if you're uh you can't do that just head over to pictage.com and they've got all the things that he talked about in that interview right there so next week uh we're gonna i think what we're gonna do is do a uh listener question uh show and because we get a tons of questions but we we very rarely have time to go through all of them in fact we didn't talk about any of we didn't go through any of them on this show because of um, you know, we wanted to get this stuff in, but we want it next week. We're going to devote the show entirely to, or most of it. You know, there'll still be the occasional jocularity, but we want to we want to devote most of the show to listeners and to answering listener questions. So, if you have a question for us, 
the Twippers, the Twip staff, uh, about photography, about the industry, whatever. Just you know, go ahead and sw- submit your uh, question to what's the email address? Is Twip Twip Photo at Gmail dot com or Twip Podcast? I'm sorry, Twip Podcast at Gmail dot com, uh, and we'll pick as many as we can and go through them next week. Great. So uh, with that, I'd like to. Uh, Next week, by the way, I mean, over next week, we're, we have a little surprise for everybody. Uh-oh. Well, it won't be a surprise after I put this out, but but over next week, we're going to start putting out some of the some of the videos that we did at PMA. So Scott oh. and I you know, did, I think, ten or more of these videos. And I, I never want to say exactly because we may decide some of them aren't worth put posting. But uh, but we um, shot over ten uh, videos that we're going to start putting up next week. Over the next two weeks, we're going to get most of those up. Um, so these are videos from PMA to give you kind of a sense, and it'll give you a little bit more of a video version of some of the stuff that I talked about and a couple extra things. So uh, uh, stay tuned for that. Excellent. All right. So Alex, since you're since you're on the tier, where can uh, where can people find you? Uh, they can find me on the twitters. On <laughs> the twitters. <laughs> are they officially called the twitters now? Plural. What? Yes, I'm on. Well, the twitters in the internets. God, the series of tubes. And Ron Brinkman, where can people find you? Yep. Also on the Twitters, <laughs> you know, I, I wanna, you know, we've, we've got a we've got a lot of listeners, and then, and I don't have nearly that many followers. I think so I passed you at some point. Out. Just just for the record, you did. Uh, you I think did. it was last month or the month before. I uh, I was neck and neck with you, and then I blew past you by like so, so I'm 10 not, or 15. I'm not necessarily making I'm not necessarily making a plea for people to follow me so much <laughs> as I'm saying. With all of our listeners, I'm surprised after the amount of time we talk about Twitter, there aren't more on there just generally. Because there's actually some pretty interesting stuff. I know Steve especially puts out a lot of photography-related uh, Twitter's uh, fun stuff that goes by, and I try to do that too. So yeah. Uh, yeah, if people want to get a little bit of extra photo-related content, uh, go visit the Twitters. I had quite a, I had quite an eye-opening experience. I was on Twit uh, uh, last week. And, um, yeah, when you're on Twitter on a live show and, and you mention your, your Twitter account, um, just in case you're wondering, you add 100 followers in about four minutes. That's amazing. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> so you don't need any more is what you're saying, right? Yeah, no, no. But people can follow me. You know? Steve, where can, where can people find you? Uh, well, as mentioned, Twitter.com. Uh, definitely, I, I'm, I'm, I'm learning a lot, too. Uh, the people that I'm following, including you guys, I mean, I'm getting lots of really good tidbits. That's where I learned about the uh, Lego reenactment pictures. So yeah. I think for photographers, if you follow the right people, there's, there's some good stuff there. And uh, so, yeah, Twitter. And then SteveSimonPhoto.com. I finally kind of uh, upgraded my website. I actually sell books and prints off it. and. Wow. Uh, it's looking pretty good. It's a work in progress, as as it always is, but it's uh, it's better than it was before. That's the nature of the internet. It's all a work in progress. And if you want to follow me, I'm at also on Twitter, singular slash uh, Frederick Fan. On Twitter, rather than all of them. Yeah, just one. I can only afford to be on one right now. F R E D E R I C K Van on Twitter, and also on my blog, FrederickVan.com slash blog. Follow me there. And that's it. Uh, It's time to take that lens cap off and get out and shoot.